Hey Breasties, I just wanted to thank all of you so very much for listening to us these past few months. We were so overwhelmed with gratitude to learn that we have listeners all across the globe, including at least one in Austria where, fun fact, is where I was born. Also ein ganz besonderes Hallihallo an dich, meine liebe Österreicher. That's just a little special shout out for you. We could not have come this far without you, Breasties. Like a good bra, you've supported us through every episode, and I just wanted to let you know how you can help our baby podcast grow. We recently launched a Patreon where you can become a patron and get access to ad-free episodes as well as some bonuses we're still cooking up for you. We have $5, $10, and $20 per month levels. Every little bit helps, and you can sign up at our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. If you're not in a position to donate right now, that's okay too. You can still help us by following us on Instagram, sharing our content, engaging with us, recommending guests to us, and most importantly, telling your breasties about the very breast podcast ever. That's my story, breasties. Back to the show. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is a show about breasts and the people who have them, from bras and sexuality to health and everyday life. This is the very breast podcast ever. Over the past few decades, the average cup size in the U.S. has steadily been increasing, from a 34B in the 70s to early 90s to a 34DD in 2013. According to a recent study, the average cup size actually has gone up to a triple D, and according to the very breast podcast ever, average doesn't mean normal and cup size is subjective anyway, so who cares? But we are fed these types of statistics all the time, and from the time our breasts first pop up on our chests, a lot of us are left wondering, are these a normal size? Am I normal? You've all heard me talk about my breast size. I've shared with you all before that I've struggled with accepting my large breasts for a long time, but I've never really gone into great detail as to why. I grew up in a time and a place where thin equaled beautiful and big boobs were synonymous with slutty. When I was in middle school, around the time that my own breasts were starting to grow in, one of my classmates was already well into her adult body development. Let's call her Lori, not her real name. 
Lori's breasts had grown in, and they were not small. I remember the boys in my classes giving her hell. Lori was known as the, quote, class slut. And that word, as well as a few other horrible slurs, were thrown around frequently when she was around and also quite often behind her back. The only word I can use to describe how Lori was treated in middle school and well into high school is cruel. And it wasn't just the boys. I remember girls throwing Kleenex at her because of a rumor some shitty kid had started about Lori stuffing her bra. And the abuse didn't stop there. Her face, her body, her lifestyle, even her voice and the way she walked was ridiculed. But I recall the comments and rumors always circled back to her breasts. I admit I didn't know Lori all that well, but I went to a small school and everyone knew who she was, and those rumors followed any mention of her name no matter who you spoke to. It was in this environment that my breasts suddenly started to grow, and in the beginning I was excited. I would stare in the mirror and hunch my shoulders forward just to make the little growths look more like breasts when they first appeared, but then they just didn't stop growing. I shot up past a B cup and just kept going until I was suddenly a 34D at 12 years old. I barely even had a chance to wear those limited two training bras for a month before I suddenly needed an underwire. I was terrified, and I felt abnormal. I started to develop later than Lori, but I had the same problem she did with the stuffing her bra rumors. I can remember hiding in the showers to change for gym class while the other girls with age-appropriate bodies undressed in front of each other without a second thought. The few times I undressed in the locker rooms in front of anyone, to the same bra and panties level as the other girls, the skinny, A-cup, mean girls would walk past me on their way to class and say things like, ugh, put your clothes back on. I can look back on it now, two decades later, and see that they saw my body as something different, which caused their insecurity to attack it. But at 12 years old, it was mortifying. And to be honest, to this day, I still get that same sunken feeling in my chest when I think back on it. I was lucky, though, because once I got to high school, I had managed to find a core group of friends and extracurriculars that helped me find my confidence. By the time I was 15, those mean girls were just blurry side characters in my life that I had learned to ignore. And although it took a long time, eventually I did accept my large breasts as part of who I am. I think my story might sound familiar to a lot of you. I would bet that a lot of you had mean girls of your own, and if you were one of the mean girls, I hope you've taken time to reflect on your life and become a better person. Of course, my own experience relates back to having large breasts specifically, and I was pretty shocked to learn that having, quote, over-large breasts actually has a name. It's called macromastia. Who knew? To be honest, having reached my zen state of complete and total body acceptance and body positivity when it comes to my tickle bitties, not really, I feel some type of way about them being called a condition, like it's something I have to tolerate or learn to live with. But let's be real here. We kind of do, right? A lot of my research kept coming back to this one study conducted in 2012 by the American Academy of Pediatrics, led by a plastic surgeon named Dr. Brian Labau. Dr. Labau is a pediatric plastic surgeon and director of the Adolescent Breast Clinic at Boston Children's Hospital. He, along with a team of other doctors and researchers, conducted a study of the effects of macromastia on adolescent cis girls aged 12 to 21. At the time, Dr. Labau performed around 100 reduction mammoplasties or breast reduction surgeries per year on adolescent girls. It seems to me, like everything breast-related, to be kind of subjective as to what constitutes having this condition, macromastia. But from my understanding, the main criteria is feeling that your breasts are just too large for your body. In this study in particular, they surveyed 96 girls who'd been diagnosed with macromastia by a plastic surgeon. The most frequently reported cup size in this group was a double D compared to the control group where it was a B cup. 
But even Dr. LeBeau himself agrees with me here. It's subjective. Two people with the exact same size breasts could have completely opposite feelings towards them. One may be miserable and the other may be perfectly fine. For me personally, the effects were 100% psychological when I was a teen. I didn't really have any physical effects of having large breasts until much later in life. What Dr. LeBeau and his team found probably won't come as any big surprise to you. Adolescents with diagnosed macromastia reported lower self-esteem, difficulty finding clothes that fit, more instances of breast pain, skin rashes, perceived differences in breast size, which causes its own set of challenges, difficulty exercising, and of course, the classic back, neck, and shoulder pain. There was also triple the risk of disordered eating. They did take into account things like BMI, but overall they found that these negative impacts of macromastia seem to occur regardless of BMI or weight. Man, having breasts is hard, guys. Although macromastia is often diagnosed in women who are quote-unquote overweight, something important to note here is that even losing weight often doesn't change those negative feelings. There are lots of reasons for this. One important one being that BMI in and of itself is subjective and having large breasts just inherently increases your weight to height ratio. But also, weight loss alone is often ineffective in relieving the impacts of macromastia. And sometimes having breast reduction can actually promote weight loss after the fact because it just makes it easier to exercise. So how does breast reduction surgery work exactly? It can vary from person to person depending on how large or quote pendulous the breasts are. But the basic procedure is this, and warning, this is a little graphic. The surgeon will make an incision that is keyhole or racket shaped, cutting around the areola and down to the breast crease. Usually the nipple stays connected to the nerves and the blood supply and is just sort of shifted upward to a higher position. Sometimes the areola is even reduced in size at this point. Then the excess fat and glandular tissue is removed, the excess skin is removed, and the incisions are closed up. This results in a smaller, higher oriented breast. This procedure will always leave what is called an anchor scar because, surprise, it looks like an anchor on the breast. But here's the thing. Even if you do have large breasts and you lose a significant amount of weight without ever getting the surgery, any skin volume that is gained from that weight loss is permanent. That means if you lose a lot of weight and that weight comes out of your breasts, often the skin that gets left behind is still the same size it was before all that fatty breast tissue was lost. And the only way to relieve that particular issue is with surgery. In this case, what's often performed is called a breast lift. And one of our guests this episode actually gives a great overview of that surgery, so keep listening. This brings me to our guests. It's our first ever double D-sized episode, Breasties. That's right, two guests. We spoke to two women who each had elective breast augmentation surgery, one in her teens and one quite recently. When I asked each of them what inspired them to get their surgeries, they both mentioned self-esteem issues that their breasts caused them in high school. Both women told me stories of their classmates making them feel less than or uncomfortable because of their breast size, but here's the wild part. One was made to feel her breasts were too small, and the other felt hers were too big. I hope you all see the irony here. Can we all just agree to perpetuate the idea that breasts of all sizes are beautiful? Please teach your sons and your daughters not to ridicule, tease, or hurt others because of their bodies. That stuff cuts deep, and it really lasts. Our two amazing guests happen to be breasties themselves, and we had an open and funny conversation about breast surgery, the first time they saw a pair of boobs, and orgasm nipples. They're both HR professionals, but have absolutely no problem opening up about even the most non-PC subjects. Here to share their breast stories, please welcome Lindsay Pryor and Brittany Green.
So welcome to the very best podcast ever. I'm so excited to have you both here. Hi, thank you for having us. I'm super excited. Um, so when Alyssa told you both about this project that we were working on, she said you were both you both were open books and wanted to share your experiences with breasts and elective breast surgery and just your whole breast story. Um, so maybe starting with Brittany, could you each introduce yourselves to our audience and tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Brittany. I'm 27 and I recently had surgery. Um, I guess now about seven months ago in December, I was 26 at the time. Um, and I had been wanting to get a boob job probably since I was at least 16. Um, it, you know, it even probably dates before that my, I come from a family of chesty women and I was a late bloomer. So I didn't really need a bra until I was about 17. Um, so even in the years before that, I was thinking like, if I don't, these girlies don't pop up, I'll probably be getting implants. Um, but then I gained quite a bit of weight when I was like 16, um, 15 or 16. So it was before puberty and then puberty happened. So I'm gaining weight and then I got boobs and then I lost about 50 or so pounds when, before I was 18. So it was like up and down. Um, so all I've really ever known are like very natural swing and titties. Um, it looked though, I will say like, um, if you love your natural boobs, good for you. I was, I, I didn't realize like boobs came in all different styles, um, because I watched a lot of E. And so I, once I had boobs, I was watching something where a woman was wearing a crop top, a model, and she had under boob. And I was like, where are her nipples and her areolae? Like, that's not what mine looked like. Um, so yeah, I had this like deep seated insecurity for a long time. Um, and then I knew someone who had gotten a, a breast lift and she posted about it on Instagram like two or three years ago. And it, I don't know why it like didn't sit with me, but I was like, Oh, that's something I can do. I'm an adult with a job. I can get my boobs done now. So since the entire time of having boobies, um, I truly looked like a mother of three in her forties and I'm a mother of zero. Uh, and I've been in my twenties for, you know, most of the time. So this past year when COVID hit, um, I wasn't spending money on drinks and going out and Ubers. So I started saving. And then it also occurred to me that I could finance the surgery. Um, and so when looking into it, uh, I, I checked New York, turns out New York is expensive, um, <laughs> from Houston originally. So I found a surgeon, I did two surgeons. I did a New York one and a Houston one, um, for a consultation. When I talked to the Houston one, it was half the price and it was going to be the exact same surgery. Like it was, it's pretty nutso. Um, so I decided that would be easier because then my, my family could take care of me. And I went home. Um, I hadn't met the surgeon. I just did calls with her. Um, but basically from what both surgeons told me is that I had a very severe degree of ptosis. I think is that what it's called. Oh my goodness. Did I fall down a rabbit hole here? So first of all, it's ptosis spelled P-T-O-S-I-S, and it's basically the degree of how much your breasts sag. It's measured in five categories. Normal, where the nipple and breast tissue sit above the breast fold. Grade one, or mild sagging, where the nipple and breast tissue sit at the breast fold. Grade two, moderate sagging, where the nipple is below the breast fold, but still above the breast tissue. Grade three, severe sagging, where the nipple is below the breast fold and the breast tissue. So basically the whole breast is just sort of pointing downward toward the floor. 
pseudotosis, or lower breast sagging, which, as the name implies, is not really tosis because the nipple is still above the breast fold, but most of the tissue is below the fold. I don't know, I'm going to call shenanigans on this one. And finally, parenchymal maldistribution, which is an unusually shaped breast where there is a high breast fold and a relatively short distance from the fold to the nipple, sometimes called a tuberous breast. <laughs> no wonder there's so much breast insecurity out there. I just want to say again, though, all the boobies out there are beautiful. Where there's sag. Um, I'm trying to sound medical, but it's just like a severe degree of sag. And what that means for me is that they were going to have to do an anchor lift. So with that, it was um, like they cut a big old chunk of skin off. They sew you up. But I also wanted to have implants. I, I liked having big boobs. And when you do this, you lose about a cup or so, depending on your size, worth of skin, essentially. Um, and I also wanted to have kind of like the cleavage up top. Um, so I was like, great, throw an implant in, uh, whatever. And I didn't research that at all. It was just like, yeah, fine. Um, it turns out though, uh, sometimes your body's not going to really mesh with an implant who knew. Uh, so I'm dealing with what I assume is a capsular contracture. I'm going to see, I'm going back home next week to Houston and I'm going to see my doctor and she's going to give me a little, um, I guess, exam and confirm because I am not a medical professional, but I feel pretty confident that that's what it is. Uh, and basically what happens is normally with an implant, your body will create uh, like capsules, like scar tissue to kind of hold it in place. And in 10 to 20% of women who have this surgery, it just gets really hard. Um, but basically what's happening is there's a hard shell that's forming seemingly, um, around my implant just on my left side. Um, so yeah, I'm going to find out more info regarding, uh, whether she recommends having it replaced or if I should just get them out entirely at this point, I think I want to get them, get the implants out because if this has already happened within seven months, I feel like my body is just like not pro foreign object. Um, which makes a lot of sense. Cause I got an implant like, or an IUD for, um, birth control. And it, it, my body was so mad at me for like six months. I was bleeding. Anyway, I, I should have learned my lesson that my body's just like, maybe, maybe just leave us alone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm probably going to get the implants out. Um, TBD. Yeah. We have a, whole, a lot to follow up on there. That's, that's, um, I took notes. So, um, uh, Lindsay, can you introduce yourself and tell me just a little synopsis of your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely don't have as much medical remembrance as Brittany since I've had this done 14 years ago, but I, I had the pretty much the opposite experience of Brittany where I developed very early. Um, I got my period like September of seventh grade. Um, and then like shortly thereafter, I was a C cup, um, which in seventh grade with like 11 year old boys was not an ideal situation to be in. And it just started me on like this very specific route of always being super hyper aware of my body as, um, as a teenager and, uh, kind of as a young adolescent. Um, and I always danced and I was very active. So I always had this body awareness and like not really feeling comfortable in, in where I was. Um, and then I just kept growing. So I think by the time I hit high school, I was definitely a D cup, um, if not like larger. So at that point, um, it didn't really occur to me. I mean, I was 14, so I didn't really occur to me, like get surgery and, and be done with it. Um, but by the time I was a senior, I was a and I have a very small band size. So I'm a 28. 
Um, so I just have like a very small body and disproportionately large chest. Um, I have back problems. Um, so when I turned 18, my mom had been kind of planting the seed in my head, like, Hey, would you be thinking about getting a breast reduction? It's something that she had done and, and thought was a good idea. Um, and she used to take me shopping all the time for dresses when I was in, in high school. Um, and she definitely knew that I, I was really dissatisfied with my body and like super uncomfortable with myself. Um, so she definitely pushed it a little bit and as like an option for me to have and like, thank God she did. Um, so my senior year during spring break, I went on spring break with like my large breasts, came back with C cups, <laughs> thought no one noticed, but you know, um, again, teenage boys. Um, so yeah. And then in, in college, I have like this really great group of friends that I made that all had like similar body types to me. And we talked about it a lot. And that's when I started becoming like very interested in helping other women, like make that choice for them. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's something that I really have like no qualms talking about all the time. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we were at work one day and Brittany's like, I'm interested in like some sort of breast surgery. And I was like, well, let me tell you all of my experiences. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Lindsay is the reason I got an IED. Lindsay's the reason, part of the reason I got my boobs done. <laughs> yeah. We, we were in HR, but we were talking about really inappropriate things all the time. <laughs> that was actually going to be my next question was how do you guys know each other? And, and how did you both end up having had breast surgery? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Being inappropriate, I guess. Super influential, you know? Um, no, I mean, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we know each other. So um, we used to work at uh, the last company that neither of us are uh, there. And um, But yeah, my first day I was sat down next to this very strange human being who said, you know, if you need any help, let me know. And the first question I asked her was like 10 seconds later, which was how do I log into the Wi-Fi? Um, and then we just kind of clicked from there. And I, I'm a very open person. It doesn't really like make sense since I'm in HR and supposed to be like closed book and very buttoned up, um, which I'm not really. I, I like to, you know, my personal life is an open book. So like we were just saying, you have your two people from HR at a tech co former tech company and then a the PR person from the former tech company being like, Hey, let's all get together and record ourselves talking about breasts. <laughs> well, I was um I was gonna say actually it's it's hard to stay buttoned up when you have big boobs, but <laughs> literally this button is always on a flat leg and it comes apart all the time. Do you so. have the, the safety pin trick? I do the safety pin between and you have to stick it like right in between the two layers of fabric, like right in your, in the facing where the buttons are. So you can't see it from the outside, but it keeps your, <laughs> keeps your top closed. Ooh, yeah. I have, I'm very well acquainted with um fashion tape, which has been my yeah. best friend since I was like 16. So I always have a ton of fashion tape um, with me at all times. Speaking <laughs> as a, a double D cup, a proud double D cup, I don't think that I can't speak for little boobs. I've never, I've never in my entire life had little boobs. But I, I don't think that people realize how much work goes into just keeping them contained. Right. Yeah. Like, and being and thought. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't want to like come busting in this office with like, and no matter what you wear as somebody who has big breasts. And that's something I learned as a child because I was always dress coded and like inappropriate comments from teachers and stuff like that. But I just, you just learn that like, no matter what you do, you're going to kind of look a little bit slutty. Um, yeah. 
And it, it yeah, that sucks. And people, <laughs> or, shame, or people shame you for it. But that's so cultural. It's like, you don't have, like, it's so perception-based because it's like, how about, like, it's just not a big deal. You're not trying to be sexual. You're just trying to be in your body. What's <laughs> difficult about that, what's difficult about that is that when you wear, so this happened to me the other day, actually, when you wear something, it doesn't even have to be all that low cut because my cleavage is, is pretty long. Um, you know, if when you wear something where your cleavage is showing, there are people who look at it as an invitation to say something about it, to look at it, to comment on it. And it's like, well, if you didn't want me looking, why'd you wear that? It's like, it doesn't matter what I wear. Like, it doesn't matter what I wear. Like, <laughs> like it's a shirt. I'm just trying to like dress for the weather today. It's 90 degrees out. Yes, exactly. Um, so let's, let's get to a little bit nitty gritty brass tacks right now. Titty gritty, if you will. <laughs> Um, for both of you, can you tell me a little bit about your before and after what size were you before and what size were you after your surgery? Yeah, I can go first. So before my surgery, I was a 28 double G, um, directly after my surgery, I was a 28 C. Um, the doctor had originally discussed going smaller with me. And I was like, no, no, I want to still have like kind of big boobs. Um, but his reasoning was that I wasn't yet fully developed and they would kind of grow back, which they did. So I went from 28 C after my surgery to now I'm a 28 double F. Did you have to have bras custom made or did you just buy anywhere? Yeah. So, well, my first experience with Victoria's secret, which I have a lot of qualms with them, um, was not good, but luckily in, so I grew up in Southeastern Connecticut and right across the border in Rhode Island, there was a really good, like not custom, but like expanded sizes, bra fitting. Um, so my mom used to drive me over there and, you know, we used to have lunch and get bras and stuff like that, which was great, but yeah, so then I have a, I have a question for you, Lindsay, before I get to you, Brittany. Um, I, when, when Alyssa told me that you were a 28 double G, I realized, I don't think I've ever heard of a double G cup. Usually it's like G H I. Yeah. Um, is there an equivalent or can you tell me, tell me a little yeah. bit more about that? Yeah, I think it might be equivalent to 28 H. Um, but the bra sizing in the store that I went to was sometimes like UK or French sizing. Okay. So they were like a little bit weirdly lettered. Yeah. So Brittany, how about you? What size were you before and what size are you now? It's anyone's guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I worked in a bra store throughout college. I worked at Soma Intimates, if anyone's familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I enjoyed the 32 triple D, but it still was too small for me. But I also, it loved being a little hoey. So I just was not interested in bras that covered. Um, so who knows, uh, always been popping out a little bit, but I did buy a cup bra right before surgery, or I did the, the cup quiz or whatever. And it told me 32 G 32 H, um, after surgery, I ordered one that was, I think a 32 H and the, the wire just goes too far. Um, so for me, it, I, I, I still don't know. It's close to a 32 G or H. Um, I don't really wear like traditional bras anymore. Um, my surgeon is going to be mad if she hears this, but I don't wear bras if I'm going out like color. Uh, but if I'm at home or just chilling or doing like t-shirt, I'll wear one of my post-surgery bras, which is just like a really comfy Amazon bra that has like a million front clasps. Um, 
but yeah, that's kind of my go-to. So I don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> no, nobody really does. It was a trick question. It's all, it's all. <laughs> um, so Brittany, why would your surgeon be mad for you not wearing a bra? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so with lifts, especially if you're someone who uh, needed a lift to begin with, that means that your skin is probably, uh, it doesn't have like a super strong elasticity. Um, so I'm more likely to have a saggy boob, um, or a saggy neck probably in the future. Um, yeah. So, uh, just, that was the fun little hand I was dealt. So if I'm not wearing a bra essentially is what she's saying. Um, I'm more likely to have sag. I keep hearing the arguments like back in the day, back when I went to school near Austin, everyone was like, bras are actually bad for your boobs. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) apparently a doctor says otherwise. So yeah, basically after a, like a lift specific surgery, they want you to wear bras as pretty much as 24 hours as much as possible. Um, I'm not going to do that because I got surgery so that I could wear slutty tops. (laughs) Not that, sorry to clarify, not that I couldn't do that before, but I didn't have the confidence to do it before. Um, well, I will tell you a little bit from my own knowledge is that the reason they tell you that bras prevent sag is because what causes sag is basically gravity. Mm-hmm. So like you only have two, you only have two t- tissues that support your breasts. You have your skin mm-hmm. and you have this thing called Cooper's ligaments, which are like, if you've ever sliced chicken, like those stringy, that's what it looks like. <laughs> so when those break, they don't grow back. That so sense. that's why like my, me personally, I like to free ball just seven hours a day. Like as soon as I get in the house, I take my bra off. Same. Um, <laughs> so I, I just put one on for this call. Cause I was like, I'm going to be on video today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why they say, cause the bras, bras just kind of hold them up and just prevent yep. it from breaking. But as a bra designer, I say, just do you and like yeah. wear, what, wear what makes you and your breasts happy. Yep. <laughs> and your back. Um, exactly. A hundred percent. So both of you guys described experiences in your teens that led you to the decision to augment your breasts. So speaking from my own experience, my personal experience, breasts can be such a sensitive and strange topic at that age. Can you tell me about your relationship to breasts at that time? What did having breasts mean to you personally when you were first developing them? My relationship started probably in like fourth grade, I guess, becoming, you know, hyper aware of what a womanly woman is in the South. I'm from Texas. Um, and I remember in fifth grade people making fun of me in fifth grade, like who has boobs, like two people had boobs and, um, boys were already making fun of me for being flat chested, even though there were plenty of other ones, um, who were also like in fifth grade and didn't have boobs yet. So from that age, I was like, boobs are important. Boys like boobs. Um, have you guys seen those TikToks that are like Republican men love boobs. Mm-hmm. Democrats love ass. Yep. Uh, I'm from the South. So I was really taught like boobs equal woman. Um, so like fifth grade onward, I literally, I think it was, I was 14 years old. One of those boys who had been my fifth grade boyfriend, Nikki, what's up? Um, I was 14 in high school and I had a dream that I ran into him and I had gotten boobs and I went double D's and then I walked away. Uh, (laughs) That is the best revenge one could have. (laughs) He went on to play football at Notre Dame. So I don't know that I would have won that one, but um, yeah. So it was something that was, uh, you know, in my formative years that stuck with me. Uh, 
So then as soon as I started getting boobs, I was like, all right, here we go. And then I was like, wait a second. This is not what I had agreed upon. Uh, I didn't, I just didn't know anything about boobs. Like I came from a conservative family, a conservative area. So I never really saw boobs. Although no, the first time I saw real boobs, um, I think I was in second grade. I had and real is subjective here at BTW. Um, but I, in school, we had been taught about the internet mm-hmm. and, um, we, they taught us how to go to the white house's, um, like official website. And I'm, at I'm very time, excited to see where this is going. <laughs> and I promise. So George W. Bush had these dogs and I was so into the dogs. So when I went home, I was like, great, well, I'm going to find that cool white house website and look at those dogs again. And I don't know what I typed in, but it was like, I, I, I really wish I could figure out how I got there. Cause I'm confused, but it was like in, <laughs> edited with these busty women, very fake boobs and some guns. There was no dog. I was like, what has happened? And that was the first time I saw boobs and they were giant. Like they were big fake boobs. And I was like, okay, tiny nipples, giant boob. That's what boob looks like. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my biggest exposure up until like my teen years, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a powerful moment. I can't believe we've got a, like an actual story on this podcast. That's like, I remember the first time I saw boobs. <laughs> Lindsay, do you remember the first time you saw them? Honestly, no, I'm like, I wish I could remember some amazing story like that, but yeah, I feel like they were always just kind of like in the peripheral, like almost everyone in my family has large breasts. So I don't remember having a specific moment in time being like, oh my God, real boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for the most part, my personal relationship was like general discomfort and like kind of hating them because like most of the people that I went to school with um, and a lot of my friends were not very developed. Um, And a lot of them were like cheerleaders and very small and petite. Um, So in high school, I really just felt uncomfortable almost all the time. Um, And like all of my, like I used to wear polo shirts a lot. That was the style in 2004 through 2008. So was always wearing polo shirts, which are not the most flattering on like large chested girls. Um, But I just remember like always feeling like everyone was looking at my breasts and even like getting dress coded sometimes in high school. And there was like nothing, there was no additional clothing items I could put on to make them look smaller. But like, I remember, like, I never heard about this until later, but I know one of the teachers like spoke to my mom about me being dressed inappropriately. And she like lost her damn minds because she's like, you know, she will always protect that. Um, So. Well, yeah. Why should you, why should you have to make yourself seem smaller like right just that even that phrasing is like oh yeah she lost her shit so (laughs) that poor teacher that day because my 411 mother like probably almost murdered him um but and also like in dating like I'm sure you all remember high school boys like you never really knew like does this person like me or are they just trying to get with the biggest boobed girl in class to be like oh my god I touched boobs so like I didn't do that much dating because I was just always uncomfortable with like 
I just didn't know. So that was kind of my relationship. Um, and also like dresses, like there's so many formals in high school, um, and Southeastern Connecticut doesn't have many dresses that fit women who have big breasts. And so it's like spaghetti straps and like top, like not topless, like strapless. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, what can I wear? That's not like making me look 90. (laughs) So, um, that definitely, yeah, it was not a great time to be in my body in the early, early thousands. Yeah, Lindsay, I had a a pretty similar experience in middle and high school um, when, because my breasts were just much larger than my, my friends, my peers, like any of my classmates. Um, And for me personally, others perception of me just like really changed when I started developing. Were you treated any differently or in a way you didn't like by the people around you because of the size of your breasts before surgery? Definitely not by my girlfriends. Um, I think you know, there's always comments like, oh, I wish I had big boobs like you. Like, can we trade? Like the thing, can we trade happened all the time. And it's like, yes, please. Thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) by teen boys, definitely. I think yes. Um, and also by like uncomfortably by like male teachers who Mm -hmm. didn't, who tried their best, like not to stare, but like were like visibly uncomfortable with me on like one-on-one settings or like yeah. in a room, you know? So it's like, <laughs> did they often think you were older than you actually were? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could do whatever I wanted for <laughs> <laughs> not that. I mean, if my parents ever hear that I was always home on time and never did anything I wasn't supposed to, but yeah, I mean, like when I was a freshman senior boys thought I was also a senior. Um, so yeah, that happened. <laughs> So um, I'd like both of you to describe as I know you've kind of done it already, but describe as much as you can what the procedure that you went through was. So Brittany, starting with you, you had a procedure called an anchor lift. Can you explain what like just what exactly that is to me? Yeah. So uh, essentially what happens is on the upper part of where the nipple eventually will go, they draw a circle and then they draw kind of um, like a upside down V and. Uh, and then kind of dotted lines underneath it. And that is essentially where they're going to be like cutting and moving. So they, uh, for me, I had a larger areola. So they took off probably half of it. Um, and then they circle that and then they move your whole nipple right on up. Right. So it, it's is the nipple actually removed or is it just, I think they take it off and then put it, I'm not totally sure if it's like one of, you know, like a, a moving up process or if off and then back on. Right. Um, I've heard both. Yeah. So it's, a, I mean, it's pretty aggressive, the surgery itself, um, but they're not really removing anything but the skin. Uh, and then I had a tw- 295 CC silicone implants, um, mentor round smooth, uh, for specifics. Um, and they put it under my muscle. So with that, I guess they say that under the muscle looks more natural, quote unquote. Um, and it gives you, uh, like a higher, what they call an upper pole fullness. So from the top part, you have cleavage, uh, you know, a little bit higher generally. Um, truthfully, I don't really know if I, like, I'm sure it's dependent on each person, but on the boob that I have a capsular contracture, I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what they were talking about. However, that's messed up on my like normal boob. It's not like that aggressively Mm -hmm. Um, so it's gonna, I guess, just depend on each body, but I also didn't get huge implants. So that might play a role into it. A 295 CC is like pretty small. 
Um, you sound so. like you're talking about like car models to me. <laughs> like everything, the body, like the model of the goes well, in, it's just like a car expert. Yeah, is it matte or gloss? <laughs> <laughs> so you said uh, 295cc. Would you say that's like adding a cup size or is there any way you could yeah, describe so that? With- post-surgery, my surgeon told me, um, Dr. Eric Casado, love you. Um, she said that like with the removal of the skin, it took off one cup. Um, but then adding the implant, it added two more. So technically I went up one cup size, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that means. Cause I can't tell the difference. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned, you mentioned also that the size of your nipples was reduced. Did your yeah. nipple sensation change after that? Like how they felt or it how they responded? It recently has come back to what it was before. Um, for like the first three months, I could squeeze as hard as I want. Nothing, nothing was that. Like they would get hard from that, but like there was, um, it was almost like, it was just pressure. There was no pain. Um, and back before, like when I would get them pierced. Well, I was going to say when I was 19 and 20, I got them pierced because the first time, I keep not learning my lesson is the deal. The first time my body was like having a, a, a big old reaction and like an infection. And I didn't know how to treat it. And it freaked me out. Cause I'm like, I'm not about to lose a nipple over like feeling cool in college. So I took them out. But then of course, a year later, I was like, well, maybe this time will be different. Um, it wasn't. So I got my nipples pierced again, which I have to say of the, the biggest pains in my life, that's a top three. Um, and I don't have, I have never had sensitive nipples too. So, um, they got infected again. I was studying abroad in Argentina and it was very difficult to, you know, go get treatment, especially for my nipples. That was very embarrassing to tell my house mom, but, mm-hmm. um, so I, 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 they put me on antibiotics and then I just took them out. Cause I was like, you gotta learn your lesson. Um, so I did at least with the nipple piercings, but <laughs> not with the foreign objects, I guess. Um, so that recently has returned to kind of what it was like before, but I was thinking I had one of those moments where I was like, I have, I'm not feeling anything. I, I should, maybe I'll go get my nipples pierced. I'm like, you gotta stop. You gotta learn your at some point. Wait, so are uh, they pierced now or no? No, no. I had to take them out. The body was not happy with my choices. Um, nipple infections are very scary. I, I've heard some horror stories. Yeah. <laughs> So, but you said the sensations kind of coming back now or. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been blessed with like, you know, orgasm nipples, but I hear those exist. Do you have orgasm nipples? Email us. We want to know more. Mine are like, um, I, I don't know. They're somewhat sensitive. They're there. They're, you know, they're kind of like hanging out, um, but they're right where they were back a year ago before surgery. That's good. Um, okay. So Lindsay, can you walk me through your surgery as much as you can? Yeah, definitely. It was 14 years ago. So I don't have as much in-depth model making color as Brittany, but, (laughs) um, yeah, so I had something very similar to Brittany. Um, and I have like the anchor cuts as well. Um, and it was a breast lift and anchor cut. And then I ended up getting, I think about two and a half pounds each taken, um, from my breast. (laughs) Yeah, it was, quite amount, like a good amount of weight. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> and they also did the magic of moving my nipples up. Um, which like, who knew you could move? Like, that's amazing. Science is like, <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty much as much as I remember. And then post op, I also got a few sessions of laser scar removal, which I never followed through with because I was a teen. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much the, the gist of what I had done. Were your nipples affected? Like, did your sensation change also? Uh, it's actually like pretty instantaneous. They came back and I remember like being in the post-op room in one of my like checkups and they were testing, um, with like a very cold instrument. I remember just being like topless in this doctor's office while he was doing that. I was just like, this is so awkward, but like, I guess it's medical. So this is fine. Um, (laughs) testing like my, my nipple responsiveness. Um, how often do women end up in that situation though, where that thought is just running through their head? Like, this is so awkward, but I guess it's medical. So, (laughs) so it's fine. Like, yeah, I mean, and that was my first like real experience with like, like actual medical, like being, having to go to the hospital and having like a catheter put in and all of this stuff. And I was like, I didn't know any of this happened and I'm deeply uncomfortable with all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you, Lindsay, can you tell me a little bit more about your healing process? You mentioned you had a little bit of scar treatment. Yeah. So, um, I had, I had the week off from school that week, uh, because it was spring break and what does one do on spring break other than plastic elective surgery? Um, so I pretty much just laid around the house. My mom took care of me. Um, and I also had one of those fun, like bras that you had to have a million clasps in the front, um, mm-hmm. which I wore to school for, like, I wore very baggy shirts for like weeks and weeks after that, which was fine. Um, but then I also got some of the, um, laser scar tissue removal. Um, one of my mom's cousins actually worked in the same medical suite and did that. So it was like, Oh, why don't you just come in and have this done? Um, and I think I got like two or three sessions and it, it did help quite a bit, but I didn't follow through. So I still have some scarring. Um, but otherwise like totally healed, like normal business as usual. (laughs) I know it was a long time ago, but do you remember being in any pain after during your recovery? Yes. Um, yes, primarily because my mom was like, it was right when opioids were like starting to become like very scary in Connecticut. Um, and my mom was very much like, you will have it right after surgery, but then we are getting rid of them. Um, so it was some pain for sure. And I'm also a stomach sleeper, which, um, convinces my partner that I'm dead sometimes because he's never seen a stomach sleeper before. Um, but at the time, so I had to like cocoon myself with pillows and make sure I'm not rolling over. So sleeping was very uncomfortable. Um, and I've never been a runner. So like, I just begged out of gym class for the next like three months. (laughs) So that was fine. Um, but yeah, there was some pain, but not enough to be like, it wasn't worth it. And 14 years later now, do you have any after effects or is it just kind of like they're, they're yours now? Yeah, no after effects. Um, yeah, they're just, you know, they're just part of my day to day at this point. Uh, they did grow back. So always thinking like maybe when I'm older and they start getting saggier, I'll do it again. Um, mm-hmm. And I would hundred percent do it again, but yeah, they're just there. 
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Brittany, uh, yours was a little more recent. Can you, so you might even still be in your healing process. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your recovery? Uh, yeah, it was actually quite brutal compared to what I was expecting. Um, I, see, I, I don't know, a couple of times I've done this now where I'm like, nothing bad could happen to me. Uh, and then I experienced like a very normal, uh, thing that happened. So, um, I was like incredibly bruised. Uh, I bruised really easily too. So I should have known that going in. Uh, but yeah, I, I bruised super easily and I was reading, I did a lot of what I thought was a lot of research, um, which turns out I was researching like the before and up to the surgery. I didn't research anything about recovery. It turns out, um, like the minor things I read were like, um, you know, if you're doing a physical job, you're going to need to wait a week to two weeks, um, should be like, okay, three to a week in terms of like pain. So I was like, great. I'm not going to feel anything. Um, what did the doctors say to you, did they give you any like insight into what the healing, like, did they say anything about it or did they just kind of be like, and it's about this long and that's it. Yeah. They gave me like an overview, but I I wasn't, I don't know. I didn't pay attention to much of it. Um, because, and also everybody's body reacts so differently, um, that I, I don't know. I just wasn't really that invested. I didn't ask a ton of questions either. I think I asked, you know, some more about like the medication and like the immediate effects. Um, and I was really just like concerned about scarring and it physically looking good. I just didn't really think much about the actual, like the fact that this is a very invasive surgery. So the first couple of days, I remember like feeling as if someone, I had no chest or like, no, sorry, I had a very flat chest and someone had stapled or glued on some other body's body parts onto me. I, there was no sensation. It like, when I touched it, it felt like I was touching something plastic or rubbery um, cause they're like the nerve endings hadn't regenerated and that takes, you know, a while to happen. So, 
I was kind of freaked out. And, um, I think I started showering about two days after, and it was so uncomfortable to not be in my support, like, you know, post-surgery bra. Mm-hmm. I hated showering. Cause I just felt like my boobs were going to fall off. Or if I moved too quickly, something was going to pop. Um, so it was really disorienting and it was very scary looking. They, you know, they call it a Franken boob after you have surgery. And it's like, you know, especially you get implants, they go up really high. They're like to your chin, mm-hmm. uh, black and blue and yellow and green, just like mm-hmm. really creepy looking. Um, and then on top of that, you also have like these creepy, like, um, bloody, I guess, tapings and you can't remove them. Uh, but you can see like dry blood coming through. It's all very startling. Um, but with that, it, it also like moving too much was painful. Like my, cause I had my muscle, you know, obliterated. And so it, it took a while to feel like comfortable again. Um, I'll say week one is when I stopped being scared. And week two is when I felt like a somewhat normal person again. In week one, I went through like a fever hit on day four. I remember, um, and I was super freaked out because I mean, it was December, like COVID. Well, COVID didn't exist in Texas. I don't know if you heard that, but uh, <laughs> it, it was like all of these different things. I'm like, is this COVID? Is my body like, is there an infection? Is my body rejecting this? Like, who knows what's going on? Um, so I, it, it never happened again. It was a one and done, but my, my doctor was like, okay, we're going to have to keep an eye on you for that. Uh, cause that's apparently not good. Uh, mm-hmm. fevers are not awesome after surgery, but that was the only time it showed. Uh, I took some Tylenol. I having a fever as an adult is very jarring because it, yeah. it felt like I was out of my body or, but not, you know, people say like the out of body experience, like you're watching your body. I felt like I was directly next to my body and just kind of like going through the motions. It was very strange, but, um, I have a really awesome stepmom and, uh, well, my dad, he was doing all of like the drives to and from the office. And then my stepmom was, um, coming in, like bringing me fruit bowls and like making sure I was taking my med. Like she was just so awesome. I felt like a kid. Um, so I'm, I, if I have to have surgery again to get rid of my implant, I'm not happy about that, but I am happy about going, pretending like I'm a child home. <laughs> from school. Uh, but I didn't eat fruit before that. And I just was like, I'm not a sweets person. I like vegetables. Uh, but she would make me fruit bowls every day because you know, that's healthy and it's good for recovery. Um, so now I eat fruit. Uh, uh, I think it was like the first week is when I felt like not overwhelmed. I went, so I had surgery on a Thursday and I went back to work virtually on a Monday. Uh, it was right before Christmas. So I just had to work Monday and Tuesday. And then I was off Wednesday onward. And it was the stupidest idea. Like I just felt really like hot during my meetings. Um, You know, I was just like that overwhelmed feeling where you're like, is it air conditioned on? (laughs) Uh, So I didn't do any work. I just was, you know, signed in for some stuff, but um, I started, I was able to start exercising lightly um, at week six or lightly around week four, which meant, you know, like going on walks, maybe some leg stuff. And then week six, I was allowed to start running again. Um, I, I think the worst is like the chest impact. I have never been like a gym connoisseur, but like, I've been wanting to get back into it. I recently did, but, um, I don't know for someone who's not familiar with like, you know, exercise, I guess, like push-ups were the thing I was like, great, I'll do push-ups. And I can't do push-ups anymore because, Lefty is 
uh, she's living in a world of her own inside my body. Like if I do a push up, I can feel it. I can feel it move. I can feel like my muscle clench around it. Um, on my right side, it's totally fine. Um, for the most part, sometimes if I move funny or like, you know, there's like some sort of pressure put on and like a weird angle, I can feel it in my right side too. my left side, because of the, the capsular contracture going on, it is just super uncomfortable. Um, it, it, it's weird to feel such a large object, like get, get, I guess, distorted, um, mm-hmm. That I had read would go away, but given that it's probably not a normal, um, like recovery, given that, you know, my body's kind of like mad at the implant, uh, I don't think that that will ever like fix itself on its own. So yeah, I'm very inclined to get the implant out. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those post-surgery bras? What did those look like? I ordered mine on Amazon. And then I also had just like a high impact sports bra from Fabletics, which they ended up using after the surgery. So I ordered one for what, uh, but I don't know if this happened to you, Lindsay, or anyone who's had surgery before, but there's a very distinct surgery smell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is, I know exactly what it's very upsetting. <laughs> and, uh, so it's like, <laughs> it's my favorite key, which is weird. It's odd. It's very upsetting. There's no, there's no positives to it. It also, is it a, a smell on yourself or like in the room or like, it's, it's, it carries with you. It's, yeah. I would assume some sort of like when they disinfect your body and I think it's iodine or something. Um, and all the tape, I think as well, it just, it's a, it's a specific, it's weird. <laughs> you know how they say like, there's, a, there's a specific smell that like is sex. There's a specific smell that is coming out of a surgery that sticks on your body. It's the same. <laughs> and so this was like my favorite sports bra and it's still to this day, seven months later, still smells like surgery. Um, oh. it's better now, but yeah. So it's just like a front class, high impact sports bra where, you know, really keeps you in the other bras that I had ordered on Amazon that I still use, they weren't as, um, strong, I think, or they weren't as like aggressive. So they're, they're just kind of like thin, I suppose. Um, but are they the, like compressive? Yeah. Yeah. They're supposed to be these Amazon bras bless them. No, not really. Fuck them. But, uh, <laughs> I'm part of the problem. Uh, but yeah, no, they're very thin. They're supposed to kind of like, you know, tighten around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just find them so comfortable. Those specifically the sports bra. Oh yeah, for sure. They're, they're like lounge bras or like bralettes. Who would have thought that surgery bras got Jeff Bezos to get to go to space? Oh, oh I know. I'm I didn't so get mine from uh, Amazon. That didn't exist when, I mean, I'm sure Amazon existed in 2008, but they were probably still doing I have no idea where mine came from, but I did not like, it was also the front class ones. And I really disliked it. I was like, this is too constricting. And well, yeah, yours was probably a correct surgery, bro. <laughs> I feel like it, uh, God bless my mom. She probably got it for me, but I have no idea where or how <laughs> I was like in such a days, just, you know, watching happy feet or whatever came out that year, <laughs> like kind of doped up in my surgery bra. <laughs> That is one thing I love about surgery is like, I love the feeling of being tired. Um, I don't like, I don't abuse drugs, but I love surgery because I love getting <laughs> hydrocodone. And oh like if I have to take NyQuil, I'm like, we're going to have a night. My husband and I were both sick at the same time last week. It's, it's you know, it's romantic. We share cold. <laughs> And, um, 
<laughs> he literally the other day was like, pour us some shots of NyQuil. And I'm like, that's not, that's not how NyQuil works. <laughs> he was yeah, like, let's see who falls asleep first. <laughs> doing shots tonight. That's how you know. <laughs> I've never understood people who like would take some, you know, benzos or like hydros or whatever. Um, and then would, you know, power through and then go to parties. No, go take a nap. No, I'm like, I'm in it for a a night's rest. I don't understand. So I'd like to ask you guys both some specific questions about how your life changed before and after. Before, Um, wait, real quick, before we do that, I was this triggered. Um, I, I, there were a ton of medications. I feel like that might be helpful to go over because it was a lot. After surgery, I was put on, um, antibiotics, um, hydrocodone, uh, Valium, anti-nausea. And I had to take four times a day, Arnica, which is for anti-bruising, anti-swelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a sixth one. I don't remember what it was, but, uh, at first I had to take all of those, like every four hours or so. Some of them were, it was like three to four hours. Some were like six hours. Um, so for like the first week to two weeks, I would have to set an alarm, Mm-hmm. Uh, 1am, 2am, um, and then 7am. So I could like take all of my, my medication. Um, so that was like a lot. And I had a journal where I would write down each thing that I was supposed to take the time. I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So I'd like to ask you guys some specific questions about how your life changed before and after. So, um, let's just go right into the deepest question, um, uh, which is how did sex change for you after the surgeries? I've only had sex once since uh, <laughs> I'm actually uh, reclaiming my virginity. Uh, no, COVID just took it back. Uh, and it was like, it was fine. Uh, so my life in the terms of having sex has not changed at all. Um, not really. Uh, it was fine. Like, you know, this, they were unaffected. The, the, the partner in this was just kind of didn't even really notice. How do you not notice? I'm sorry. <laughs> men, Lindsay, I have sex oh, with men. <laughs> right. Forgot about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree. Like not, not much change when I was in my younger twenties, I, I would definitely say like, I, before having sex with someone, I would preface it and be like, I have scarring, like, this is what it is. Don't be alarmed. And I was like a little bit self-conscious about it, but into my mid to late twenties and now you know, I'm 30, almost 32. <laughs> Fuck 31. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, well, I've had the same partner for like almost four years at this point. So it's a non-issue, but yeah, I definitely always felt the need to like preface sex with being like, I had surgery, um, when I was in my younger twenties. Did anyone ever notice without you saying something like what made you start warning partners about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I can't remember like what spurred it, but I was like when I was in college and somebody, it wasn't like a negative comment at all. I was just like, Oh my God, what happened? Are you okay? And I was like, Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm fine. Like I'm fine. What? (laughs) Um, so it was like one of those things. And, and then, you know, like younger men who are like in their twenties are like, you didn't have to change anything about your body. Why would you do that? And I'm like, dude, this isn't about, I don't give a shit about what you think, first of all. Um, and second of all, this was for me, not for men. <laughs> so um, that's kind of the turning point when I was like, they either notice it or they don't. I'm not going to like comment on it one way or another at this point. 
for me, I'm always talking about my boob job. So like <laughs> there, there's no need to warn. They've been told <laughs> that's how, that's how the sex happened. I was on a date and, um, I was telling him about my boob job and I had him like feeling it. I was like, can you feel the implant? Isn't that crazy? Um, so ladies, if you ever need help getting laid. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Like if you bring up boobs around guys, like no matter what, like I talk, I talk about breasts all day long. And I remember like when we first started this podcast, I was telling one of my husband's friends about it and I was super into it. And I was talking about bra size and, and C cups and, 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 you know, the Cooper's ligament fact I gave you guys earlier. And I realized halfway through, I was like, Oh, the only thing you hear is, is the word boobs. He doesn't hear anything else I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I recently (laughs) was with a group of friends at a cabin and one of them, I won't say his name if you ever listen to this, but he knows who he is. Uh, we were sharing a room. There was four of us in a room and bless his little heart. He was so drunk. And I don't remember how it got onto this, but he just kept rambling about how like, isn't it so interesting how like men love boobs. They're like, are they designed to love boobs? Yeah. I just love boobs. And he just kept saying boobs. I love boobs. And I was like, <laughs> I think it's bedtime. I think we got to wipe out. <laughs> they are quite fun. Yeah. Like, even as a woman, like, I love boobs. Like I, I look at other ones, like I look at other yeah. ones. Boobs, I'm like, those are nice boobs. You know, so I, I definitely get the fascination. <laughs> I mean, they're beautiful, you know? Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> um. Okay. So how did, for both of you, um, how did bra shopping change for both of you? Yeah. I just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a good question. I think it definitely changed because I was able to go from like very unappealing styles to like what is known as cute bras, cute bathing suit, like bathing suits were always a big thing for me. Um, so yeah, it changed. Like I still would never step foot in a Victoria's Secret, even if you paid me a trillion dollars because they're awful. Um, so many people feel that way. <laughs> I think their rebranding is comical right now. Right. I mean, I think at one point they tried to put me in a 36C and I was like, uh, yeah, they're I mean, always- honestly, it's <laughs> so I did a little experiment a couple weeks ago or like a month ago when we did our bra size, um, episode where I went to like six different companies and measured myself the way those six different companies told me to one company. So I think Victoria's secret, I was a 38 B, but another company, I was a 40 B another company. I was a 36 triple D another company. I was, it's like, it was all over the place and they weren't even like the same cup size. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. And now objective. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, um, the great thing about now is like, I, I vaguely know my size. Um, and there's so many great online retailers at this point, mm-hmm. um, like bare necessities, shout out to them a thousand times over, uh, for carrying every size and style and bathing suits. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just much like a much more pleasurable experience because I'm not like depressed about what I can and can't wear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you um, feel like now in in this year compared to like when we were in high school, do you feel like sizing is more inclusive? It's it's a little easier in general. Definitely, yes, a thousand percent. Like, yeah, because in, in in rural, not rural, but like wherever, what is it called? Suburban, like Connecticut, mm-hmm. you have Victoria's Secret. Period. Um, yeah. But now, and you'd have to drive like forty minutes to Rhode Island to get a size inclusive company. Um, but now like 
thank God for the internet. You can buy anything from anywhere and it's amazing. Um, how about exercise? Did exercise change for you at all? Brittany, I know you mentioned push-ups. <laughs> Can't do my, you know, I'm so strong. I have to do my push-ups every day. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, push-ups running feels a little bit more annoying to me, but it might just be the sports bra I'm currently using. Um, I don't know. I used to be a two sports bra kind of runner, uh, you know, strap them down. Mm-hmm. Now I only need one. I guess that's changing. <laughs> <laughs> What are some outcomes of having surgery that you didn't expect? I didn't expect having to have surgery again so soon. Um, I I mean, I might be having these uh, little silicone sisters taken out and that is money. Again, I wasn't expecting surgery. I wasn't expecting uh, boob form changing that I wasn't expecting. Um, Like I said, it's like 10 to 20% of women. So it depends Mm -hmm. on. I think it's closer to 20% if you get an implant over the muscle versus 10% under. And I went with under. So, I mean, that's, you know, one in 10 women are going to have to get their implants out um, based on, you know, the similar surgery I had. Um, So even with those numbers, I wasn't expecting that. Um, And I guess TBD on the actual outcome. So Brittany's suspicions were right and it was a capsular contracture. She's going to get the implants taken out a couple months after this episode drops, but thankfully won't have to have full-blown surgery and can get them taken out in a relatively easy awake procedure. She's positive as always and plans to get the most out of her implants in the meantime. She still has three weddings to get through until then. Um, yeah, those were some, some things I wasn't totally prepared for. <laughs> Could they possibly replace the implant or do they have to just take it out? No, they could. I think a lot of people will have a surgery where either they'll just like take out the capsules that have hardened and then take out the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the sad implant, put in another, um, sometimes what they'll do is they'll do that and then they'll create another pocket. Um, so they like carve out a pocket to put the implant. Um, so sometimes they'll just carve out a different area of that pocket. Um, so I could, but I'm kind of at this point disenchanted with it because, um, mm-hmm. I think from what I've read is that if you, if you get a capsular contracture, then you're just higher risk to get yet another. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I don't want to spend money to do this surgery to have to spend money to do it yet again. When implants, you have to get changed every 10 years anyway. So I'm like, this is now a money pit. Mm -hmm. And for what, for what some fat titties, like, (laughs) so, um, and I had enough tissue to begin with. I almost didn't get the implants too, but I was like, I do want that upper pole fullness. Um, so yeah, I, I think at this point I would just have them removed and just, you know, live that natural Mm -hmm. life. Um, so you said that implants usually have to be replaced every 10 years. I think that's maybe something that a lot of people don't realize. Was that something that you were told when you went into this? Yeah. And I was actually kind of into it because then I was like, well, if they're too big or too small, then, you know, you know, try them out 10 years later, go bigger, go smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, and right after surgery, I was like, Ooh, I should have gone bigger. I should have had these big old, like, crazy boobies. Um, but now I'm like, no, no implants. We're good. What was your experience with the doctors? Like, like, did you ever feel like you were being sold something by the doctors or did you feel like, no, I, but I think that that might've been intentional based on the women that I spoke with. I wasn't interested in a man doing my boobs. I know that they're qualified, blah, blah, but like men being OBGYNs and men doing my boobs, I think they're totally capable, but I also am just maybe more interested in someone who's had a shared experience, Mm -hmm. um, someone that I can relate to a little bit more. So, um, 
the two women that I spoke with, that's actually another piece of advice. I do think people should maybe talk to a few, maybe three or more surgeons. Um, for me, they said the exact same thing. Each of them gave the exact recommendation. Um, but the reason I didn't talk to more is because a lot of times it costs a little bit more money to, you know, have to do consultations. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's nice to get a few different perspectives. Um, for me, I didn't feel like I needed one because I got the exact same. They told me the exact same thing. Um, so I felt very, like I was talking with girlfriends. Like I felt, mm-hmm. I didn't feel pressure. And I felt like when I go into the office and see Dr. Eric Casado in Houston, I can just hang out all day. Like the last time I was there for a checkup, I went in and like, literally it was a five minute thing, but I was in there for like 30 minutes. Cause she and I were just like gabbing. Um, she's super cool. So she actually was on married to medicine, Houston. Um, and so I'm a big Bravo head. And so she and I were just mm-hmm. talking about her experience with that. Um, and then also we got into these like philosophical discussions about the Kardashians and their contribution, yeah. to, like the cause yeah. of the industry. Um, and then how we think it's so ridiculous that they like pretend like they haven't had surgery, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I felt very, very like supported and not pressured. Um, they awesome, just like awesome women, the, the surgeons I spoke with. Um, Lindsay, how about you? Was there anything that happened after your surgery that you weren't expecting an outcome you weren't expecting? I think physically, no. Um, but what did happen that I, I probably wasn't expecting. So prior to surgery, I, and I tend to be like quite introverted and like a little bit closed off. Sometimes, um, I never talked about my body. I would never say a single word about my boobs to anyone. But then after surgery, I was like, this is a thing that all women have. They probably have the same thoughts and feelings as I do. And then going into college, like my girlfriends are, are great. And we, we all started talking about, you know, like bras and where we find them and like what's going on in your general body. And it, it just made me a lot more open to sharing my experiences and being like, you know, plastic surgery is not shameful. Um, this is something I did for myself and it, 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 I really enjoyed it. So I think I probably wasn't expecting to be way more open about my body. Um, and I'll chat about anything, you know, you want an IUD, I'll talk to you about it. (laughs) You want your boobs done? I'll talk to you about it. Um, there's like almost nothing that I like goes on in my body that I'm not willing to chat about. So I think that it's pretty surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wish you had known going in? Uh, I wish, you know, everyone kind of warned me um, because I was 18 and I, I wasn't quite done developing. I wish I had heeded that a little bit more because my boobs did end up coming back. And if I had waited a couple of years, I probably would be like a little bit smaller than I currently am. Um, not that I regret doing it at any point, but I, I do wish I waited a little bit past 18 to finish developing because I, like, even at 19, I had a growth spurt. I grew like three inches. So Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, I definitely wish that I had heated the doctors a little bit more and been like, you know what, I'll wait a couple of years. Um, a couple (laughs) years at that age is like, it feels like so long. Yeah. And then like having to get it done while you're in college is a little bit of a different story than like you get it done senior year of high school. Great. No one's ever going to see me again. Mm-hmm. And then I go into college and my boobs have always been the size to these people. So who cares? Um, so that was my thought process going into it, but 
yeah, I mean, looking back on it as like a 30 year old, I'm like, damn you 18 year old Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) So are your breasts the same size now as they were before your surgery? Uh, just about, yeah. I mean, I'm a 28 double F. Um, but my relationship with my breasts is like much different than when I was 18. I think also like they did change in shape a little bit and I did get that lift. So, um, it it is a little bit more comfortable, but for the most part, they're the same size. (laughs) Um, but at this point I'm like, you know what, this is my body. I think I look pretty, pretty good. So I don't really care (laughs) anymore. I used to live in the South Bronx, so I still, you know, got that harassment a little bit, but you You probably even still remember like their first and last names too, right? Like I I remember the ones who did it to me. (laughs) I could give you a hit list right now. (laughs) You know who you are. You follow me on Instagram. You know who you are. (laughs) I'm like, you used to like, not ridicule me, but you are not kind. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, come on, man. Like now you're liking my bikini pic. So So this question is for both of you. Would you say that you feel confident in the bodies that you have today? Yeah, much more so. Yeah, I agree. And I think, yes. One thing, one thing with that though, is like, um, obviously surgery is not going to be your fix for things. So if you're like insecure about your body, getting new boobs, getting a nose, getting like that, you're going to be insecure still, maybe it'll be like less so, but, um, I think there's something to be said for like really learning to just appreciate your body and the things that it does. Um, so for me, like I've, I struggled with eating disorders in college and like food is a weird thing for me. It's much better, but like, um, I, I, where I was like 10 years ago is so much better than where, wait, no, the other way (laughs) where I am now compared to 10 years ago is like, I've come quite a long way. Um, so for like my boobs, yeah, I feel much more secure about my boobs, but now it's like, okay, well, oh, there, there's this air. I don't like my stomach. You know what I could do now? Now I could get lipo. I could get lipo. Maybe I could get fat transfer. And it's like, you need to just chill out. Cause like, it's kind of like when you get a tattoo, you're like, well, now I'm going to get a bunch of tattoos. Um, you kind of get on that slope. Um, so there's pros and cons of that, but I think it's really just a matter of like, you know, putting the work in to truly appreciate yourself and your body and all the very magical things, especially as women that it's able to do. You go to therapy, right? Do you go to therapy? Yeah. 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 Did you like, you were going through therapy through the decision and all of that stuff as well? Yeah. I've been in and out of therapy since I was 14. So you had like a mental support, like wellness as you were also making the decision and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I also, to be honest though, it was something I'd wanted for so long that I was like, I don't really feel like I need any support on that, at least from the emotional front. So I remember the first time you brought it up to me, you were like, you've always just been so like gregarious about it. You were so excited and like, I want this. And yeah, I'm, I I love, I love chatter. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) Also a plug for therapy. Love it. I go to it as well. Well, loving chatter is a really good personality trait to have on a podcast. So (laughs) Um, thank you both for sharing your stories with me. This was really a a really enlightening conversation for me. And I really appreciate you guys being so open and honest with me before I let you go. We like to ask our guests some rapid fire questions. Um, you guys ready for that? Uh, as ready as I can be. All right. (laughs) What do you call your breasts? (laughs) 
Oh, they've got so many names. I don't call them anything weirdly. Like they're just my boobs. Oh, boobs, titties, knockers. Um, there was something funny on TikTok that they say yitties. Yitty. I don't like that. What's the the word you personally use most often though? Boobs. Um, tits probably truthfully me too <laughs> uh Brittany in the beginning like the first five minutes I have taken like almost no notes in this entire thing in the first five minutes I wrote what you said chesty women girlies and you called your one boob lefty at one point oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I also say girlies a lot and you said natural swang and titties at one I point wrote, <laughs> I wrote swang and titties down yeah. oh I like knockers too yeah there's a revolving door <laughs> Yeah, I feel like you, like anytime you text me about them, there's like a different word for them. And I'm always like, I feel like she's talking about boobs, but I can't, I can't be a thousand percent sure here. Actually, I can't believe I didn't even say this. One of my favorite comes from a meme from years ago with Nicki Minaj. Yeah, I think I know where you're going. Right. I hate this one. <laughs> so funny. Someone like, she posted a picture where her boobs look giant and someone commented said, Dan, Nikki, your bobbies. And so oh, I was, yeah, when you call them bobbies, that just drives me. <laughs> yeah, so bobbies. Bobbies. <laughs> What's your least favorite word for breasts? Breasts. I think also breasts. And it's just because sometimes like in my mind, I associate it with like creepy men being like breasts. <laughs> um, and that I just don't like it. Ugh. Yeah, it's too, it's too official it's too professional it's too medical <laughs> your professional breasts you yeah <laughs> what is your favorite thing about your own breasts they're very warm like in the winter I do I don't know if anyone else does this but I do oh, this yeah. in the winter um I do it too or do you ever go underneath yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I think that and also they just like you know they make me feel very good in dresses and shirts and stuff like that now. So yeah, love them. <laughs> I like that when you were giving the answer though, you were just very like lovingly and gently squeezing them. <laughs> like you, like she was like very thoughtful and just very like lovingly and gently squeezing them. <laughs> yeah, you know, got to give them some love too. <laughs> Before surgery, I loved, um, you know, I try to find the positive and everything. So even though I wasn't happy with my tits, I was happy that I could sneak things into shows by putting them under my boot. <laughs> Have you ever done the dollar? Have you ever like pulled money out? Oh yeah. I'd be sweaty though. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you guys, a well, the world, a secret now. So I bake a lot. I love to bake. And one of the things that I have a problem with is remembering to take my ingredients out ahead of time, to make sure they're room temperature. So a little trick I have with eggs <laughs> is you put them right under your boob and you just do all your other prep work. And by the time you're done, <laughs> I love their room that. temperature. <laughs> what a hack. Can you imagine seeing that on like the Great British Bake Off one day? <laughs> Came from the very breast podcast ever. We also have cooking tips on this show. Yeah, it takes about, it takes about six minutes to get to room temperature under your boob. <laughs> love that. <laughs> what do you think is the hardest part of having breasts? the sheer weight of them sometimes. Um, honestly. Okay. So from like a very simple sense, uh, having to like run down the stairs, um, Hold on. very physically uncomfortable, um, from like a sociological standpoint, I think it's the fact that like, for me, I feel sexiest showing my boobs. I feel physically comfortable not having things around my neck 
because of anxiety. Um, so naturally a lot of my shirts are very cleavage heavy. And so I think the issue with that is of course, like feeling unsafe as well. Um, from, you know, men. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I think physically, like I I've had slip discs and I I've needed to get lower back surgery. So having the extra weight on top is not always helpful. Um, and then like the second one is like other people's perceptions of you and like managing that and like being a professional woman who is very good at her job, but like having to, you know, manage the fact that sometimes I do look a little bit sexier than mm-hmm. what an HR professional people have in their mind does look like. So yeah, I think that's agree with Brittany on that. In the male driven tech industry, which Ugh. even though like these are three women who were have worked, I think actively in the tech industry for a while, but like it's definitely you have to be a little bit boys club in there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you remember your first bra? Yes, actually. Um, so I got mine. This is so funny. I got mine from, I think it was limited too. Um, and it was like a very, like, it was a white, just a band with spaghetti straps and it had like silver bedazzling on the front. And I remember I, I was very young. It might've been like third or fourth grade. And it was like a training bra type situation. And I remember like my mom and my sister joking around being like, why do you even need that? Like, you don't have any boobs. And like, they were making fun of me, but look where I am now. But yeah, <laughs> limited to little bedazzled number. It's great. <laughs> so I, my sister is six years older than me. And then my, my mom, um, they both had pretty big boobs. Um, not like giant, but you know, I had nothing. So I was like, wow. Um, so part of me feels like maybe I had a hand me down, but they would have been too big. I do remember having some like two neutral plain bras that were wired. It was black and it was tan and they were kind of like, like it had that silky feeling over, like it was a, a light lining. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I had those bras too. Like maybe had the same like JC Penny or something. Yeah. It was just like very <laughs> classic. Cause I didn't, my mom never bought me a Victoria's Secret. That was not like, she wasn't going to spend the money. It wasn't like my mom was not that type of mom. So she, she we probably got like, you know, JCPenney, Sears, whatever, those types Ross. of things. They were very like, but they were still like satiny and kind of like sexy, but they were not like. Yeah. Like that Lizzie McGuire episode. Do you remember when she yeah. was like, <laughs> I want a bra. <laughs> that was very formative for me. I, I loved that episode. <laughs> My mom was like, you need to start wearing a bra. Like, <laughs> you're making people uncomfortable. <laughs> and God forbid women have nipples too, oh, right? Yes. What type of bra, if any, do you prefer and why? I I like the classic t-shirt bra for myself. Like it's probably the one I wear every single day and it's just comfortable. Don't have to worry about it. Have one in every color. There's a bra from Soma Intimates. Um, where I used to work. So I've got like six of these and it's just like, it's wired and then it's lace. Um, but they're extremely supportive, uh, and they're very cute. Is it the one that's lace one piece across or is it it two cups? It's two cups. Yeah. They, they dip. Um, it's similar to not quite a balconette Mm -hmm. style, um, somewhat similar, but yeah, it Mm kind of like makes a U, but they're not connected directly. There's like a base um, slightly, uh, but then they're connected by like a lacy fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's no, it's no like padding or anything. It's just strict lace. 
Um, and last but not least, what do you do to treat your breasts? Any products or practices, self-care? Hmm. Well, I have to massage them um, because well, specifically because <laughs> of the stupid CC going on, but um, I was massaging them. I was doing scar treatments that are just like at home um, gels, I guess, silicone gels. Uh, I put uh, Cetaphil moisturizer on them as well. Yeah, I definitely in the shower will exfoliate because I love a good exfoliation. Um, always moisturizing and then also always sunscreen if I'm going mm-hmm. out. Um, that was like one of the first things I think like my great aunt told me it was like, whatever you do to your face, bring it all the way down and you'll look young forever. So, and that advice has stayed with me forever. So now I'm just like sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> well, she shamed me back when we worked together because I was like, she never wears sunscreen. Which I don't is wear sunscreen. I'm gonna wear sunscreen. You gotta like, wear sunscreen, man. I <laughs> bought some. I got shamed. I know. Now put it on. Now yeah, put it on your skin. Earlier today, I do. This is, where we this was an accident. <laughs> this is where we interrupt the episode and we start playing the sunscreen speech. Wear <laughs> oh, yeah. sunscreen. Yeah. Like part one piece of wisdom. I already <laughs> told everybody they need to floss in the last episode. So. <laughs> For real, though. Wear sunscreen on your whole body, not just your breasts. If you can't keep your skin covered by clothes, apply reef-safe sunscreen that is SPF 30 or higher generously and frequently. There's no real scientific evidence that the chemicals in sunscreen can cause cancer, but the UV rays from the sun definitely do. For more info on reef-safe and skin-safe sunscreens, check out our links in our sources. That's also important, but it is flossing is very important. (laughs) I'm very, I'm equally passionate about flossing as I am about titties. (laughs) (laughs) Just dentist slash bra maker. I love it. (laughs) All right, ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you and I learned a lot. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was so great. Yeah, of course. So, um, have a, a breast day ever today and thank you so much for joining us <laughs> the breast day ever okay. bye you guys the very breast podcast ever was written produced and recorded by nadia figueroa and Alyssa McHugh. cover art by Alyssa McHugh. Opening music by Margaret Tran. Check her out on Spotify. For episode transcripts and sources, please visit our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. Do you have questions? Corrections? Do you want to tell us your breast story? Get in touch with us on Instagram at theverybreastpod or email us at theverybreastpodcastever at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make today the breast day ever. everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L 
S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.